with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about China's outbound investment. It increased 8.5 percent in the first nine months. But where are they invested? And Elon Musk has become Twitter's new owner. What's next for the social media platform under him? And now let's begin with our top story. China's non-financial outbound investment has reached over 560 billion yuan, or over 77 billion U.S. dollars, in the first nine months of this year, and this is up 8.5 percent. At the same time, outbound leasing and business service investment rose 26 percent to over 29 billion U.S. dollars, and non-financial direct investment into countries along the Belt and Road increased by 5.2. Percent to over 15 billion U.S. dollars. So, for more on this, join us on the line now, Dr. Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Liu Baocheng, Professor with the University of International Business and Economics. So, first, Dan, an 8.5 percent increase is good performance, especially under this year's global economic scenario. So, what do you think are some of the main reasons for the strong performance? And、uh, the strong performance of China's ODI is correlated with China's own investment plan and also the global macroeconomic situations,、um, because this year we do see that many of the Western countries are increasing their interest rates, and that has increased the return of assets within the boundary of their countries.、Uh, many emerging markets have capital flow、uh, back to the developed nations,、uh, including China, but also for China's Own purpose of developing its、uh, a strategic investment overseas. We have seen that Chinese companies are investing quite heavily in、uh, areas like new energy,、uh, mining,、um, and as well as consumer goods. So it is this increasing trend of、uh, consistency with China's strategic economic transformation. Mm. So, Bao Cheng. So, talking about China's outbound investment, where are the main destinations, and why are these countries and regions chosen? Well, if you look at regressionally, and the cumulative stock、uh, shows that uh, actually uh, China still has the largest investment in North America, and because、uh, there has been a large acquisition and mergers that are going on, and then、uh, Europe, because、uh, you know. Most of the projects are gigantic, and then if you see the rapid increase, it is really the Belt and Road countries,、uh, in which the mostly、uh, it is the based on the raw material development in the mining industry, particularly, and、uh, also in the infrastructure development, and uh, more. Uh, Uh, increasingly, it is the、uh, China that is there to participate in some of the、uh, equity positions of ports、uh, and subways, railways, etc. So it's getting more and more diversified, and also the fact that China is able to combine、uh, its a strong advantage in the manufacturing industry,、uh, in the、uh, high-end service service industry. 
and also in Chinese skilled labor uh, for uh, contract construction. So all of this really uh, there to contribute the Chinese uh, continued momentum for its outbound for uh, foreign direct investment. Mm. So, Baocheng, you mentioned the Belt and Road countries. Could you give us some examples and how are those projects with uh, Chinese investment benefiting the economies and local people? Well, we have uh, very ostentatiously constructed uh, nearly 100 economic zones uh, in those countries uh, in which we hire a lot more people. Uh, for example, I visited one factory in uh, Ethiopia, and uh, uh, one shoe company just hired 8,000 people. And so we also have the Oriental Industrial Park hosting uh, not only Chinese uh, investors, but a combination uh, with global investors to continually to contribute to the local economic development. So altogether, uh, if we read the figure last year, we contributed uh, nearly uh, 100,000 uh, local employments and turn the, uh, the uh, tax to the local and central government in those host countries, uh, uh, you know, up to uh, 6.6 billion U.S. dollars. And then uh, I think more fundamentally, it is the uh, type of management skills and also it is there to activate uh, the imports and exports together with, uh, with investment and uh, it's also there to build a showcase as how to manage a uh, industrial park, etc. Then uh, it is uh, uh, also there to give confidence that uh, China is uh, highly committed to those countries, and China is there to uh, exercise also its uh, own social responsibility on the corporate side, mm-hmm. and also the uh, countries, uh, the national responsibility over. Uh, those developing countries by combining some of the aids with our investment. Mm. So now what do you make of those uh, Chinese projects in the uh, Belt and Road countries? And uh, what does it mean for the uh, local economy and the people? Uh, The biggest benefit is certainly associated with job creation. But then there's also uh, the transfer of management skills and technology. Uh, In the previous decades, uh, the direction was usually the transfer of technology from Europe and the U.S. to China. But now it's getting into this new stage when Chinese companies and Chinese operations are teaching the locals uh, how to do it. Um, We have seen that, uh, especially in 2022, many of the projects are concentrated along the line of transportation, especially in the auto industry. And in this industry, China is gaining real advantage and become a really competitive against its uh, European and American uh, car producers. And when it comes to new energy vehicles in particular, uh, Chinese car makers are increasing their global market uh, share quite rapidly. And this is in sharp contrast to what happened in the past when it comes to the combustion engine uh, vehicles, uh, where Chinese car makers basically have 0% of uh, the uh, developed nation's market share. But now the NEV market share in Europe is more than 10%. Um, And that's uh, showing that China is in this transition into the high tech and it is able to transfer its own technology 
uh, to the rest of the world. Mm. And Bao Chang so then mentioned Europe, and recently the German cabinet allowed Chinese shipping company Costco to buy a stake in a terminal in the country's largest port, the port uh, uh, Hamburg. So previously, the country's government was divided over the issue. So what are their concerns, and why do they approve it now? You know, some of the concerns were really groundless. They talked about national security, and uh, uh, they talk about whether uh, China is uh, able to be more compatible in the management structure, uh, even though China uh, provides sufficient amount of equity positions to uh, support such type of program. And there were previous doubts when China uh, participated in the uh, larger part of the equity position in periods of grace. And uh, it turned out to be highly successful. And plus, that uh, uh, it is not only there as a silent contributor to the uh, equity composition, but also China is able to bring a lot more goods. And uh, China has uh, a gigantic shipping capacity that can uh, also activate their business. So uh, right now, particularly when energy is in critical shortage and Chinese uh, uh, transportation capacity, Chinese uh, the leveraging capacity over the global energy market, uh, really uh, too attractive to be resisted. And so it turned out that uh, Costco uh, per se is highly experienced in uh, international shipping. It's uh, really the flag flagship of the Chinese uh, shipping industry and uh, they have their own operational scheme and they also have the uh, uh, you know command high level of uh, social responsibility for sustainable development uh, which is uh, also uh, very much uh, consummate with the uh, notion and mission mm. of the Hamburg uh, port management. Mm. So then so how do you think could this investment by uh, Costco will benefit the local economy? And Costco has a long track record of uh, being able to manage the port very efficiently. Uh, they don't just build the terminal, they also would develop businesses around it, uh, like uh, building hotels or railways connecting the port with the city or even with other countries. Um, and when we look at how Germans are doing in managing their ports, they're not as efficient. I think that's one reason um, the German councillor is keen to have Costco on board. Um, by creating jobs and increasing efficiency of the port, then the German uh, exporters will gain more edge when it comes to their exports to Eastern European countries and to uh, other Asian economies. Mm. And Bao Cheng, so I still remember Costco's another move in Europe a few years ago, buying Greece's largest port in the year 2016. And with investment of uh, you know, Costco shipping, uh, the port Piraeus is boosting its role as a hub in the uh, rapid growing trade between Asia and Europe. So uh, under Costco, this port achieved a record high annual turnover last year. So how does that happen? And uh, after the uh, acquisition, what difficulties have they uh, get through and how did they make it into such a success? Well, uh, you know, as we both uh, have talked about, the uh, Costco has really a, a very strong advantage in their management and in their systematic structure that is not only dealing with uh, cargo handling, but also build the 
sports and also the surrounding facilities that are there to uh, to enable the free flow of the shipping at low cost. And uh, uh, now Costco also has uh, a strong advantage in the technological development, the uh, automation at the airport operation uh, and also at the seaport operation are really uh, something that is uh, really attractive. And they encounter some of the challenges of, well, you know, uh, China is now penetrating into the hub of shipping lines in Europe and uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and so uh, it is something that they, that they feel rather strange uh, for the first entrant, but now it turned to be very successful in dealing with the trade union in dealing with the working morale at the uh, at the port and also in uh, it is really the financial uh, data that is there to be highly convincing to the local government to its working partners and also to the major stakeholders and so uh, that is why it is really there to build a success story and also the hamburg uh, is uh, not blind to such a fact and and uh, so this uh, uh, successful performance mm. motivated uh, the partners in Germany to mm. uh, further collaborate with Costco. Mm-hmm. So then when we talk about China's ODI, and let's put China into the global picture. So what's the situation for the outbound investment globally this year? The outbound investment globally this year has been a big revival from what's going on in the past two years. Uh, And part of the reason is that uh, there are a thirst to look for assets with better return. Um, In many countries, the situation is unstable, uh, especially when it comes to emerging markets, uh, the ones that are heavily in debt and are influenced by a stronger dollar by a great deal. And for China specifically, it would like to increase its strategic holdings of energy and mining um, because it's closely related to its ambition of green transition. Um, But for many other economies, they would like to get closer to their consumers because the geopolitics is getting more complicated. And they would like to get around uh, the tariffs restriction or the potential conflict between different economies uh, in order to guarantee a certain return. Mm. So, Bao Cheng, do you agree with that, or what do you think is the outlook for the overseas or outbound investment next year? Well, actually, we had the highest performance in 2016, and uh, uh, we experienced uh, quite a decline over uh, the past five years. And uh, now it's, uh, we do see a revival. The reason for the decline is that a uh, uh, some of the projects, uh, you know, they uh, need a longer period, a uh, lead time to uh, construct. And the other is that, uh, yes, there has been uh, some of the mismanagement and some of the conflict in some of the countries, but that does not really uh, impo- uh, impact a larger picture. So China is uh, there to have the continued drive. One is that, of course, you know, China has the accumulated foreign exchange reserve. Uh, which is higher than even the G7 countries combined. The uh, uh, Chinese market is highly competitive, so therefore uh, many of the uh, Chinese businesses are really uh, there to look beyond its national border. If you look at Xiaomi, Huawei, 
and uh, uh, Oppo, etc., they uh, penetrate into the Indian uh, Indian market. And uh, another uh, company is uh, really taking a lion's share in the uh, mobile uh, business in uh, Africa. And so, therefore, uh, it is really uh, something that is really market-driven. So that's the second reason. And third is that uh, uh, China uh, Chinese operation overseas, uh, both investment and uh, the uh, equipments and technology combined are getting more and more uh, popular in those uh, host countries. And then China has also, you know, uh, trained a lot more people at the uh, in the uh, host market to be able to work together to localize some of the operations uh, overseas. So that's also a uh, quite plus. So if we look at uh, next year, I would say uh, it would continue to grow, but not as aggressively as uh, as for uh, a sort of. Uh, uh, Double-digit uh, growth because uh, there are a number of projects that uh, needs to be further digested, and there can also be challenges uh, because uh, you know the, uh, for example, uh, the Blue Dot Network uh, is uh, you know uh, composed of the Japan, Australia, and United States. They are uh, trying to uh, further evaluate the. Uh, responsible for performance or sustainable performance of the uh, projects overseas and targeting China. And there, uh, there is a gateway plan from uh, Europe, who is named as alternative to the Belt and Road, uh, etc., to nudge uh, Chinese uh, operation. But the, you know, it is really uh, uh, the competition, and it is really the host market that is there to choose and pick who is. Uh, more there to be able to uh, contribute job creation and uh, local tax scheme. And China's uh, business will still uh, be uh, very competitive. And also it is still a learning curve for many of the Chinese businesses uh, to communicate and manage uh, well on those particularly mega projects. Mm. So then the Chinese currency has become the fifth most traded currency in the world. So what are the main reasons? And will it also help China's ODI? And RMB is increasingly used internationally, uh, not just because of trade, but also because of China's increasing presence in global investment scenes. Uh, this happened in the past when Japanese were extending their investment overseas. Actually, Japan has created an overseas economy bigger than its local economy. So for China, the role of RMB uh, is for sure going to be significantly more advanced than where we are now. Uh, even with the capital control right now, uh, we are seeing more countries adopting yuan as the settlement method because they would like to guarantee the most smooth settlement and deliver of uh, their trade goods. And they would want to make sure that uh, there is a smooth transition uh, when it comes to uh, investment from China. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Liu Baocheng, Professor with UIBE. So after a short break, we'll take a look at what's next for Twitter under Elon Musk. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Einar Tangen, a political and economic analyst and senior fellow at the independent Taihe Institute. World Today is news without the hype 
and business commentary that is informed and up-to-date, presenting the facts and asking incisive questions. So join us if you are someone who needs to know what is happening in China as it is happening. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Elon Musk has become Twitter's new owner. He takes over Twitter after months of back-and-forth negotiation. Tesla CEO Elon Musk said he wants to defeat stem bots on Twitter and prevent the platform from becoming an echo chamber for hate and division. However, Musk has not offered details on how he will achieve all this. Reports say he sacked the company's chief executive officer as well as the company's chief financial officer and its head of safety. So then, first of all, what's the next for Twitter under Elon Musk and what changes are likely to happen, do you think? Uh, for Elon Musk, uh, as he is highly unpredictable, so I'm not sure what he is going to do exactly because there's a number of possibilities when it comes to what he can do with Twitter. Uh, he has talked about the reshuffle of Twitter's top leadership, uh, which he already did. Mm. He might lay off more workers, although it may not be at the scale that he claimed. He was going to fire, as he said, 70% of the Twitter employees. And it's not. it doesn't look like it's going to happen at this point. Uh, he also said he's going to clean up. Uh, all those old guidelines, old principles that are no longer compatible with what Twitter is. Um, by that, uh, he meant he would get rid of the bots. He would also bring more freedom of speech back to Twitter. Um, what exactly is going to happen depends on uh, what he decides would be better fit for his ideal for a social platform like this. And then, so what do you think of the chances of Elon Musk allowing former President Donald Trump to return to Twitter? And what will be his consideration? Uh, Elon Musk has ex expressed his high willingness to have Donald Trump back. Uh, it is actually whether Donald Trump would come back because uh, the former President Trump has said he had no intention to return to Twitter. Um, Although it looks like if it will help with the midterm election and maybe his ultimate return for the next presidential election, uh, he, he will, since he does have the highest influence over Twitter users uh, comparing to his own social media, which hasn't got uh, much of attraction so far. Mm -hmm. So, Bao Cheng, so Musk's action during the Twitter deal draw a lot of attention from the U.S. public and the government. So what do you think are the potential impacts of the deal on American society? The, uh, Elon Musk is really a legendary person, and he has uh, his uh, high level of charisma, uh, that commands not only the Americans, but also uh, people around the world. Uh, what he really points to can really turn out to be a huge uh, issue in the uh, U.S. society. So whether he wants to uh, fully defend the freedom of speech within the realm of the Constitution section. Uh, after all, you know, the uh, given his power, of uh, finance, given his power of uh, political and social influence, Peter is going to uh, have an increase in their uh, return on the investment. And even if he has uh, his own ideas, uh, there can be a number of restraining factors for him to come to the uh, back to reality.
Mm. So then, so there is a lot of concern that the CEOs of big tech in the U.S. will have too much power of defining the uh, freedom of speech in the country. So, what do you make of that? Um, those CEOs already enjoying uh, a lot of influence in both economic issues and political issues. Um, for the richest guy in the U.S., uh, like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. Um, they are influencing how the government is spending their money, where the strategic investment will go next.、Uh, both of them are involved with the space project, and that's tied to the military. And for Elon Musk, he's now in charge of one of the most influential media in the world, and so does Jeff Bezos. He's the holder of Washington Post now. So we are. Looking at this new world, where politicians seem to be holding a power、uh, for the nation, but、uh, among、uh, the general public, it seems that those CEOs, tech giants,、uh, the billionaires, are the ones、uh, getting access to their heart.、Mm, and then, so do you think big tech has too much power or influence in the U.S. society? Oh, they definitely do, because just for the case of Twitter,、um, by By this ownership transfer to Elon Musk, immediately this richest man in the world will have the biggest influence among Twitter users. And for Twitter, originally it was for the grassroots purposes. People talk about their daily lives, they exchange informations. But now, if Elon Musk tweet anything, there will be tons followers either for him or against him. He's becoming this divisive force in the society. I don't think the political division in the U.S. now is just a natural logic of its political system. It is absolutely also supported by the involvement of those billionaires.、Mm, and then, so from your perspective, do you think the、uh, big tax in the U.S. should be regulated more, or how would that be done?、Uh, the U.S. regulators has been quite reluctant to put more restrictions than what we see now. There are antitrust movements. Uh, it is very mild, because as this capitalist-driven society,、uh, what U.S. want the most is efficiency, and the billionaires do have the kind of capacity and management skills and resources to make the most efficient uh, development uh, in innovation, and they would also be able to rile up、um, the public sentiment to serve for their purposes. So the politicians will want to get closer to the billionaires to help them realize their policy goals, and the society would also、uh, turn to a different direction.、Uh, I think it's getting more predictable than before. Well, we're speaking with Wang Dan, chief economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Liu Baocheng, professor with UIBE or the University of International Business and Economics. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.